Hey, welcome back to the program. Let's pray. And, and please, I'm going to ask you to listen to the prayer. This is important. You young, you young people, you're driving to school right now. Some of you are driving to the Oaks. Some of you are driving to Chesterton. Listen to this prayer. It's very important. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you because of Jesus. And it's in his holy name that we pray today, Father. I ask you, Father, that your Holy Spirit, who lives in our hearts, would be stirred into flame. And that your Holy Spirit, Father, would stir within us a sense of meaning and truth and life and fulfillment that comes from knowing you and loving you and serving you in this world. Father, give to each of us who cries out to you a more intimate, personal, profound, and life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus, we want to know you, and we don't know how to go about that. We want to go deeper in our relationship with you, and we don't know how to do it. We look to you, Jesus. Please, do not abandon us in our Lenten journey, but draw close to us and draw us out into that desert, into a place where we can focus on you. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so tomorrow there's a wonderful guest on, Father Mike O'Connor. Father Mike is a pastor from down in the Biloxi, Mississippi area. I had him on as a guest. I did it over Zoom, so it was videotaped, and we um, had the video uh, version of it as well. You can go to My Catholic Faith TV on YouTube if you want to watch the video version of it. Uh, but he's very profound. He is a courageous leader, speaker, a real prophet in terms of his willingness to speak the truth. And tomorrow, we're going to talk about the theology of the body and the Elijah moment. The Elijah moment. It's something that I have talked about on again and off again, bits and pieces for, I don't know, a couple of years now. Remember, the Elijah moment is that moment when Elijah was facing off against 400 prophets of Baal, right? He was the last prophet of Israel, and you're the king of Israel tracking him down to kill him. And they were facing off, and what was the issue? Who is God? Who's God? Who, whose God should we serve? Which of these prophets? The 400 prophets of Baal or Elijah? And unfortunately, the king along with the people of Israel, they had slowly given themselves over to uh, a polluted form of faith. Their, their pure form of faith in, uh, in, in Yahweh, faith in the Lord our God, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, they had allowed this a polluted way of understanding who he is, a polluted way of understanding how to worship him, a polluted way of how to live their lives morally and in community. So in, a, in essence, what do you see? They still have the, the name of Israelite, part of the chosen people of God, but they've become so polluted in their beliefs, in their practices, in their religious expressions, in their way of life, that they have betrayed their very essence. But they didn't want to see it that way. And so Elijah says, look, you can't straddle the issue. You can't try to be so compromised that you have both of these realities going on at once. You have to go to make a choice. If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal, serve him. Make your choice. Make your decision. And it said the people did not answer. They, they wanted to continue to straddle the issue as long as they could. And this is, a, this is an Elijah moment. So tomorrow we're going to talk about how this is an Elijah moment. I'm going to get Father Mike's insight into that and talk about where we, as God's people, if we're going to be authentically Catholic and not living a polluted version of our Catholic faith, maybe we'll take a look at some of the polluted versions of Catholic faith. And I think I have a sense of where Father Mike is going to go with the interview based on the fact that he wants to ground it in the theology of the body. 
So it's going to probably have something to do with male and female, uh, an authentic imaging, imaging of God, a gift from God being made male and female. And so I think it, it, I think we're going to have some real interesting conversations about uh, the gender ideology and the horror and tragedy that it is. But that's for tomorrow, so you don't want to miss that program. Let's talk about something happier, <laughs> like happiness. Uh, I have a reason for doing so. I was listening to a podcast. Since I'm not on social media, I, I deleted my YouTube app. I'm not on the internet, not playing chess games. Whoa. This is part of my whole Lenten sacrifice. <laughs> These are not heroic sacrifices, by the way. But as a result of that, I'm listening to podcasts more. Um, and uh, I, it's not like I listen a ton, but I'm listening more. And one of the um, podcasts I stumbled into was on happiness. And this author, author of a new book on uh, happiness and how a traditional understanding of happiness is has really been polluted today, and he has the answer. He has the answer. So we're going to explore what he has to say, but we don't want to just focus on that. We want to focus on what the church has to say. Now, the church is going to give us amazing guidance that is utterly relevant for your Lenten journey because of the meaning of happiness in the plan of God. The meaning of happiness as it is revealed in faith. And so uh, so first of all, if you want if you want to write a book that's going to get um, a lot of people interested in it, uh, put the word happiness in your title. <laughs> I just typed in books on happiness and the number of answers, best happiness books. Do you know how long the list is? 300 books. <laughs> Art of Happiness, Happiness Project, Power Now, a guide to, what's this one here? I should click on it. I'm clicking on the link even as we talk here. Uh, let's see here. Power of Now, a guide to spiritual enlightenment, stumbling on happiness, happiness animal, uh, happiness advantage, happiness hypothesis, the power of positive thinking. Oh, I've heard of that one. Happy for no reason, seven steps for being happy from the inside out, authentic happiness. Oh, I want that one. Uh, the geography of bliss to find the happiest places in the world. Wow. What makes you happy? Spontaneous happiness. Happier at home. Nice. The how of happiness. Uh, you know, okay, so I'm going on. in Happiness, a guide to developing life's most important skill. Oh, happiness is a skill. No, wait a minute. Happiness is a choice. Ooh, no, wait a minute. Happiness is an inside job. Ooh, wait a minute now. You can buy happiness. It's cheap. No, no. Happiness is an art. The art of happiness. Uh, okay, are you getting the idea? <laughs> happiness is, it's a big theme. And, and there's a reason why. Like, why is this a big theme? Well, Aristotle says there's a reason why. That every human being wants to be happy. That we have a natural desire for happiness. And the interesting thing is, is that you don't really, it, it, when you say, okay, quickly define happiness, go. And it's one of those words that's so fundamental that sometimes it's difficult to come up with a good definition. So what are words that you think of when you think of the concept of happiness? Well, content, contentment, um, satisfied, um, uh, happiness. Happiness is a state of uh, bliss, a state of uh, peacefulness, a state of fullness, right? A state of uh, wholeness, right? So these would all be the the kinds of things that um, you would identify with the the definition of happiness. When you're happy, you are. Ah, relaxed, at peace, fulfilled. Uh, you experience pleasure and joy and satisfaction and, 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 and there's a sense of freedom and, and you feel alive, right? All of that. Well, that is how God made us. The desire for happiness is of divine origin. It's of divine origin. God placed it in the human heart. 
By the way, that's, that's in the Catechism. It's not just Aristotle. It's in the Catechism. It's paragraph 1718, if you're tracking with me. Paragraph 1718, the desire for happiness. It's in the human heart. So what, um, what Aristotle will say in the Nicomachean Ethics is that when a human being is searching for something, they're searching for this sense of fulfillment or contentment, uh, the sense of being able to rest that I've reached my end, my goal, then I will be contented. And uh, that, that reality is something that every human being is striving for. And so he then goes off and tries to find what is it that will make the human being happy. And do you know what he ends up with? He ends up with contemplating the truth. Isn't that interesting? And contemplating the highest of truths because it's the highest faculty of the human being functioning in the highest way possible by putting its attention on the greatest and most perfect object. So the contemplation of God in his understanding of the divine is going to be that act that most makes the human being content. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Um, let's kind of go, let's run downstream a little bit because the author in this podcast, um, he's talking about his book with the, uh, with the, the host. He says, this is, this is wrong. This is wrong, maybe not like in, uh, in, in its totality, but wrong for today. And the reason why he says it's wrong for today is that when you take this desire for happiness and using the language that I was using, he says that today people will experience on a regular basis, a daily basis, many, many times a day, a sense of being discontented, a sense of being uh, sad, depressed. Uh, They're not... Uh, experience contentment and fulfillment and, and these other things. And, and when that's the case, if they're not feeling a sense of satisfaction, well, then they're going to seek after something, this is what he says, to distract them. He says, so distraction is the number one way that we attempt to avoid this desire for happiness not being fulfilled is we'll just distract ourselves. And he's got a point. His diagnosis isn't actually bad. Um, his, it's his prognosis. It's, what, it's his treatment plan, I should say, that was where he gets it incorrect. But uh, you know, he says, well, people at that point, they'll just distract themselves um, in order to either just avoid that feeling so that it fades into the background, or They'll, uh, they'll distract themselves with something that will be, it'll give them that dopamine impulse, right? So using the smartphone, uh, playing, uh, playing a game, watching something, scrolling through stuff, it gives you that little bit of, of that little hit that, little, that releases the dopamine in the brain where it's at that, that pleasure center where I start feeling pleasure again. And so then I can stop doing that. I no longer need to distract myself. But then what he says is, is that, again, as a good diagnostician, it leaves you in a worse state because you're not ultimately satisfied. So you end up going back into distraction. The second thing he says is the the second, uh, it's called a coping strategy with a lack of contentment, a lack of happiness that one is seeking after is to opt out. He calls it, you know, when I find a conflict between my lived experience and my desire for happiness, I'm just going to opt out of any attempt to face that conflict. I'll avoid it. I will just attempt to d- deny that it exists, try to block it out of my mind. And the third thing he then says is, is he, he says, let's try to um, numb it. Let's numb it so that we don't have to face it. And, and that's when he talks about using alcohol um, as the, the primary example. But then any other kind of pleasure that will feed and attempt to fulfill the ache that's, that's present there, that, that lack of fulfillment. And so then drugs also comes in as an example 
okay, I'll leave his diagnosis behind because then he offers a treatment plan as well. And that's unfortunately where he lacks the depth of wisdom. And this is where we want to rely on, once again, the teaching of the church, especially as it shows up in the catechism, to give us insight. And we'll, we'll dive into that more in just a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. It's great to be with you today. Hey, if you want to do me a Lenten almsgiving, I would appreciate that. You can go to mycatholicfaith.org. If you go to mycatholicfaith.org, you can um, there sign up for my podcast, uh, uh, which is called the Dr. Tom Curran Podcast on Apple Podcasts. And you can give it a, a rating, a five-star rating and a review. You can also go to social media pages if you're doing that during Lent. Just do it as an almsgiving. You can subscribe to My Catholic Faith TV, My Catholic Faith TV. It's all one word on YouTube. And that way you'll get access to all these interviews, all of these programs after they're done. If you're enjoying them, you'll be able to listen to them online and share them with your friends. I would love for you to be able to do that. But if you go to mycatholicfaith.org, mycatholicfaith.org, all of the um, different social media platforms, Facebook and YouTube and um, uh, Apple Podcasts, they're all linked there. So you can do that. And, and there's also free resources. You can access all of the, the the talks that I've been doing. All these things are available free of charge. There is a If you want to give a donation, that's great. Not required. Free of charge on mycatholicfaith.org. I'd love to be able to serve you this Lent more fully. Okay. So let's come back around. Happiness. I want to be happy. You want to be happy. That's how God made us. Well, this fellow ends up saying that, uh, this fellow who wrote this this book on happiness, right? And it wasn't on that list of 300. This is a new book. <laughs> he said that going after happiness is the mistake. He said instead of going after happiness, which is this state of contentment that you can't maintain in a in an age when happiness is much more associated with a felt state of being at the level of your bodily senses, you know, your, your physical sense of, or your emotional and, and personal sense of being um, uh, contented, uh, which radically misunderstands uh, Aristotle, but that's a, that's a separate point. He says, you shift to meaning. You shift to meaning. See, because if you can, um, you'll find a sense of um, contentment in life, not by striving to be happy, but by striving to fulfill a purpose. If you can fulfill a purpose in life that is meaningful to you, that's what's going to make you fulfilled. And um, and you know what? He unfortunately misses, he, mis, he misdiagnoses the, the, the depths of the issue here. Um, he, he gets some things right, but the idea that what is going to make us contented in life is having a sense of meaning uh, and purpose in life is, again, unfortunately, he doesn't go far enough because he remains at a, at a let's call it a purely human level. He's missing the deeper understanding, the deeper insight into the nature of the human being, who we are as human beings. And so while it's true that we will find ourselves feeling uh, fulfilled, feeling, let's call it contented or even happy, when we are giving ourselves over, when we're committed to uh, projects and initiatives and activities that we find meaningful and, and that give us a sense of purpose in life, um, in the end, that's not going to be sufficient. In fact, even that can end up being a distraction and an opting out of what's really going on in the human heart. Did you hear me? 
what's really going on in your human heart, in my human heart, and in the heart of every human being who's alive right now. Every human being. You see, God created every human being. And so the way that God has designed, he's designed human nature, and that's your nature and mine and your kids too. So I'm talking to you because this is going to, I'm going to draw a line between where I go next and Lent, okay? Because it's going to, it's going to give us a path to a level of fulfillment that gets to the deepest depths of the human heart. Because unless you can bring a sense of fulfillment that reaches to the deepest depths of the human heart, you're going to feel unfulfilled. You're going to feel anxious. You're going to feel discontented. You're not going to be happy because we didn't go deep enough. And unfortunately, giving yourself over to a career or projects or activities that are enjoyable, that are meaningful, that even have a sense of purpose to them, are never going to fulfill you because you're made for more. You're made for something deeper. You're made for something more glorious than this. And I tell you this, I have worked with CEOs and senior executives, C-level executives for 25 years, and sadly, it is not rare that the folks that are operating at that level want to find, seek to find a sense of fulfillment through their career. That that's what, that's what is going to bring them a sense of contentment. And there are losses that happen. So it's like serious losses. And you say, well, Tom, what are you talking about losses? From a pure human measure, here's this, call it a guy, but I've also talked to women who are operating very high levels in large organizations. And from a human standpoint, they are healthy, they're fit, they're attractive, they are sophisticated, they are wealthy. Oh, did I sorry say wealthy? <laughs> They're making a lot of money. They they wield a lot of power in their little realm. They operate in circles that are uh, the 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 the, um, the 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 upper echelons of society. They get to go places and do things that uh, most people would would look at and say, "Wow, man." What a life. I wish I could go there, have that, live there, do that. And all of those things from a pure outward measure, a pure surface level, outward measure, surface level, yeah, super successful. But when you're able to get in behind the closed door, like I was as an executive coach, so it was a confidential sounding board. It was a confidential sounding board, and it was my job to engage in dialogues with these people and help give them insight into what was going on and then help them figure out a path forward. And it was a, a typical thing in that, in that realm of that relationship where we would get into the deeper things. Because the funny thing is you don't get to separate and isolate the person you are at work from the rest of your life. You can try, and a lot of a lot of folks try. They think they can be a certain kind of hard-driven personality here at work, but then at home, they're just a genial, pleasant, easygoing person. That's that's a farce. It's not true. So you are who you are, and you are who you are, and it gets shaped at work, and then that goes back to your home, or it gets shaped at home, and you bring that back to your work. And that's, that's a dialogue between the workplace and the home. Okay, bottom line, bottom line, these people who at a surface level had it all, when you got behind closed doors and you get to have the more intimate, private, deeper conversations, there was pain, there was darkness, there was suffering, and there was loss. 
And where was the greatest loss? The greatest loss, almost without exception, was in their family. Hear me. The person who drove, was driven, uh, strived for years and decades to achieve and, and to elevate and to get to that next level, and it brought all of these accolades and all of these external benefits, had a broken home life and suffered great losses in their home lives. And the number one loss was I missed my kids growing up. I wasn't there for my kids. And they're left with this, like, I have to say to myself, was this worth what it cost me? What it cost me to get where I got in the world. Was it worth it? Because now my kid is moving out of the house to go off to college and that whole stage and age of those years, I missed it. I wasn't there. I was super successful at work and a lot of that money was able to use and give my kids many things and opportunities, but I missed being a dad. That's what I heard more than once with a real sense of deep questioning, with a real sense of emptiness, with a real sense of I need to block off certain sections in my consciousness or otherwise I'm going to be in a very dark place. That was the experience that I had when I was working with a lot of these senior executives uh, in these bigger companies. Now, that wasn't 100%, right? It, it, it was different for those who had an extraordinary sense of faith, like a deep sense of committed faith as the center of their identity, not their job. But boy, that was filled with tension. That was very difficult to live. And it was very, very hard to, well, to, to come to that Elijah moment to straddle the issue, right? How long are you going to straddle it? Are you a, a CEO who happens to be Catholic or are you a Catholic who happens to be CEO? <laughs> are you a senior executive who is a dad or are you a, a dad who happens to be a senior executive? How long will you straddle the issue, right? If you're a senior executive, be a senior executive. And that was one of the, that was one of the principles that I would bring to my clients. The higher you go in the company, the more ownership you have and the more you become owned by the company. Okay, that's the, that's the paradox that's the irony. The higher you go up and the more you become associated with the ownership of the company, the more you become owned by the company, meaning you lose your freedom. You, you just do what they ask you to do because that's what comes with that position and, that, and those perks. You, you become more of a slave. So I, I bring this up because St. Augustine is going to give us a better solution, a better treatment plan than this modern guy who says, do something meaningful, do something purposeful, because you have many, many people who find a lot of meaning and purpose in their work, and they pour themselves into it, and you know what? It doesn't lead to happiness. It doesn't lead to the happiness that each of us was made for by God. So, Augustine, he actually picks up on this Aquinas insight. And he doesn't quote Aquinas because Aquinas wasn't really known. The texts of Aquinas, uh, I'm sorry, Aquinas, <laughs> Aristotle, Aristotle. Of course, the texts of Aquinas weren't known by Augustine because Aquinas lived 700 years after Augustine. <laughs> or 800 years. So, um, no, I meant Aristotle. But this is what, Augustine says in his book on the morals of the Catholic faith, or the Catholic Church, on the morals of the Catholic Church, he says that we will find happiness when we attain to the possession of the highest good in a perfect way. It's the perfect possession of the highest good. And what he ends up saying is that the highest good must be a good that can't be lost apart from our willing it. And boy, there's a key right there. So the highest good, he says, is God. 
And essentially what he goes on to say in this amazing treatise on the morals of the Catholic Church is that we should be pursuing God as our highest good. We should be pursuing him, pursuing to be in union with him because that's what's going to ultimately make us happy. And he points out the way that other people around him in his time were pursuing other goods that were lesser goods, not the highest good, who is God, but they were pursuing lesser goods with greater commitment, greater passion, greater willingness to sacrifice than we believers in the ultimate good, the truest, deepest, most profound good, the highest good, God himself. And he said, we should be ashamed. We should be embarrassed that there are lovers of lesser goods and even false goods who are more passionate, committed, convicted about their goods than we are about ours. And you know what? It's funny because here it is Lent, and hopefully we're all practicing acts of self-denial, and um, we're fasting and eating more simply, right? Well, how many people are passionately pursuing a more sculpted body, working out at the gym, and are doing so making more vigorous, rigorous, consistent, persistent sacrifices in how they eat, how they sleep, and how they push their bodies to the limit, all for the sake of, well, vanity, for the sake of maybe, maybe yeah, that they'll be healthy, but the most committed and zealous, they're after uh, the most, something that is not the highest good. And, and all right, I'm up against a break. Back in a minute, and we're going to dig into what the Catechism has to say to give us the deepest insights. Welcome back to the program. All right. Don't forget, coming up, not only do we have a wonderful guest that is going to be on tomorrow um, that I have already mentioned to you, we have on um, Father Mike O'Connor joining me from Biloxi, Mississippi on tomorrow to talk about the theology of the body and the Elijah moment. That'll be a really cool interview. Next Monday is our Sacred Heart Radio book club edition of Sound Insight. And we are talking about a book called God's um, God's Battalions, The Case for the Crusades. God's Battalions, The Case for the Crusades. Father Nagel and Father Lewis and I will be discussing that book. And I have a sneaky suspicion that this book club is going to extend for two weeks. It's a, it's a rich book with lots to say. And I have two co-hosts with me on Monday, one of whom is a PhD historian, that would be Father Nagel, and I have someone who is deeply committed to Catholic apologetics, and that's Father Lewis. So I know the two of them have two uh, complementary uh, interests in the book, and as a, someone who also has a, uh, a passion for Catholic theology and history, um, I love a deep dive into the Crusades and the history of the Crusades, etc. So, uh, God's Battalions, tune in for that. That's coming up uh, next Monday on uh, on Sound Insight. Okay, let's come back around to um, happiness. God wants you to be happy. God made you to be happy. The desire for happiness, you can see, can be sold to someone as, um, hey, I noticed that you know, you're not happy. Let me give you the solution for that. It's a great way to become a, a bestseller, right? I've, I've said that before. If you want to write a bestseller, just let people know that, you know, what their condition is, name it well, and then give them a solution. And well, because you named well their situation, then they'll consider that your solution is probably right on as well. However, the catechism uh, gives us better insight. The catechism, I'm going to... Start with 1718 and, um, 
and then go backwards to the beginning of the catechism in paragraph 27. Um, so the desire for happiness is paragraph 17, 1718. And it says this, the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, and we'll come to that. That'll be our last point. The Beatitudes respond to the natural desire for happiness. The desire is of divine origin. God has placed it in the human heart. And now here's the part I didn't read to you yet. God has placed the desire for happiness in the human heart in order to draw us to the one who alone can fulfill it. Okay, that right there is pure gold. My brothers and sisters, that is pure gold. That's something that we should tape to the mirrors, write it on the windows, put it on our refrigerators, recite it to yourself every day. God has placed in your heart, make it personal, God has placed in my heart a desire for happiness. And he did so in order to draw me to him, to the one who alone can fulfill it. Nothing else that I strive for today, nothing else that I desire and pursue today, whether it's something meaningful and purposeful, like a career or money or stuff or, or opportunities to go do things or to belong to a certain group or the, uh, the attempts to fulfill the, the emotional level of discomfort in my life and, or all of that, none of that is going to fulfill it. None of it. 1718 goes on, paragraph in the catechism says, we all want to live happily. In the whole human race, there's no one who does not assent to this proposition, even before it's fully articulated. And guess what? That's from St. Augustine on the morals of the Catholic Church. So he gets a shout out here in the catechism. How is it then that I seek you, Lord? Since in seeking you, my God, I seek a happy life. Let me seek you so that my soul may live. For my body draws life from my soul, and my soul draws life from you. God alone satisfies. That's from Aquinas on his exposition on the creed. So this desire for happiness is a desire that goes beyond the body to the soul. So even, even Aristotle had an insight there that it's the highest faculty operating in the most perfect way. It's using our, our mind to contemplate the highest truth, who is God, that that's what's going to bring us happiness. But August, uh, Augustine and then Aquinas go deeper. My body is going to draw life from my soul. So it's nothing that your bodily life here on earth can pursue that's going to make you happy. But you've got to go inside to the level of the soul. But the level of your soul, it draws life from God. And so God alone will satisfy. Okay. So this then is going to tap us all the way back, tie us in, and we're going to take a pause. And we're going to go all the way back to paragraph 27. Because 27 is titled, not the desire for happiness, but the desire for God. The desire for God. And that's where we're going to get our next insight, is from the Catechism in this paragraph. Okay, so let's read it. The desire for God is written in the human heart. Ooh, well, there's an advance now. That's an advance. You see, many people are not going to begin there, and many people don't even end there. That desire that's written in the human heart, they'll say is a desire for happiness. And the most insightful, profound thinkers in human history have said, mm, yeah, but happiness is only going to be found when you are in a life-giving union with the one who created you, God. And so that's really what you desire. You desire for God. You have a desire for God. 
And the catechism here is going to expound upon this, expand upon this right at the beginning. The desire for God is written in the human heart. Okay, before I go further, that means it's in your heart, it's in your spouse's heart, it's in your kids' hearts, it's in your grandkids' hearts, it's in your future spouse's heart, right? It's in everyone's heart, everyone. And we need to speak to that. We need to remember that, that everyone desires God. And there's a reason why. And the Catechism tells us, because we, you, I, we are created by God and created for God. And boy, it's that last. In the Catechism, it's just those two words. The last prepositional phrase, for God. Right there, that's a book. You could write a whole book on that. Because, again, in almost all of human history, there is a, uh, a sense of agreement, even in, among the different religions, uh, uh, not maybe perfect in universal agreement, but there is a sense of the fact that we had our source, our origin is from God. Um, not from chaos, not from nothingness, but there is a divine origin for our for the reason for our that explains the reason for our existence. We're created by God. But it's that other part. It's that other part that we don't remember. We don't ponder. We don't think about sufficiently. And it's not that we're created by God, it's that we're created for God. You are created for God. And by that, it's, it's not just like, oh, you're created for a possession that God owns. No, you're created for a relationship with God. You're called to communion, to union with God. Isn't that interesting that when you're created by God, there isn't, by default, in your the experience you had in being born, a communion with God that is perfect in your first moment of existence. And that, so there's, there, there, there's an impact to that, right? There's an impact to that. And this is something that God invites us to. He invites us into union with Him, communion with Him, into a relationship with Him. We're going to continue, continue to explore this in a minute on Sound Insight. Please stay tuned. All right, welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. So on Thursday on Sound Insight, I'm going to talk about silence and adoration. Uh, as an, This is going to build off of what you hear today, silence and adoration. Um, when we were at Adoration on Sunday in silence at the seminary, Bishop White Seminary, I don't know why you people don't go. If you're in the Spokane area, you're hearing my voice and you're in the area, show up 645 on Sunday night. I'm serious. Just come once. You'll be blessed. God's presence is powerfully uh, at work in that place because you have this these young men full of faith in the context of adoration, and you have a beautiful, holy uh, event of sung solemn vespers, and then you have adoration for an hour in this small, beautiful chapel surrounded by young men who are reverently adoring the Lord, and then you have a beautiful... uh, at a celebration of night prayer. And then you process out and do the Salve Regina, um, honoring the Blessed Mother. It's an hour and a half of your time from 6.45 until about 8.10 or 8.15. It's beautiful. I thank God for Carrie that she's like, we're going. We're going to go. She was first going to go like, let's go to support the seminarians. And then it was like, no, we're going for ourselves. We're going for our kids. We're going... I want my kids to be dipped in that, immersed in that, washing over them. Uh, we've taken them to adoration their whole lives, but it's really powerful. 
Okay, there you go. There's some homework for you. Keep the day of the Lord holy, 6.45 to 8.10. Show up. Say hi. We'd love to see you. You can see my family there. <laughs> we'll be there on Sunday. It'd be awesome. Okay, enough of a commercial. Not a commercial, it's an invitation. I'll talk uh, more on Thursday about the power and importance of silence, contemplation, and adoration. But today we're going to continue talking about happiness and what the Catechism says about this important reality of happiness, that we're not only created by God, but we're also created for God. And it continues. So that means this is, and God never ceases to draw you to himself. Never. Never. Not now. Not an hour from now. Not tonight when you're in bed. Not tomorrow when you wake up. Never. When when you're doing something holy, when you're sinning, God never ceases to draw you to himself, to draw. Now, Augustine gives us an understanding of the term draw. To draw is the result of being loved. He says, love, God who is love, is like this great magnet. And so, His love, his loving you is what is drawing you towards him. And that's that's where desire comes in. And so if you can think of it like a clock, a circle around and going, going around a clock backwards, you've come from God. So think of you going out from the 12 down to the six. And now you're going back to God. And that being drawn back to God is the fruit or the effect of God loving you. And so that's why you desire God, is that you have in your heart this ache for communion with God, this ache to belong to God, this ache to receive God's love that will fill you to overflowing. God's love wants to not just like give you a little drop. God's love wants to fill you to overflowing. This is how you were made. This is what you were made for. And the Catechism says, again, in paragraph 27, only in God will you find the truth and, here's the word, happiness. Only in God will you find the truth and happiness you never stop searching for. There it is, tying together paragraph 17, 18, and paragraph 27. The desire for happiness is, in the light of faith, the desire for God. The desire for God. You'll never be happy with anything the world will give. Popularity, fame, a peaceful life where everything seems to be going well. You're, you're in a nice neighborhood and you have nice stuff and your health is nice and you've got a nice job and you get to do nice things. You're not going to be happy. At, at a surface level, at different levels of, of the human experience, yeah, you can be content. You can find a sense of, of joy. But in the depths, in the heart, there will be the ache because we're created in God's image. In God's image. And then the Catechism goes on. The dignity of human beings rests above all, above all, on the fact that we are called to communion with God. Not based on other factors, other qualities, other uh, things that, that are uh, things that, that make us succeed in life. No, your dignity is that God created you to be in relationship with him, that you're called to be in communion with him. That's your dignity. And this invitation to converse with God, to a relationship with God, to commune with God, to experience God's love in a tangible, personal, intimate profound and life-giving way, this invitation to converse with God is addressed to you as soon as you come into being. Whoa! To be is to be addressed by God in love. To be, to exist, is to be addressed by God in love. For if you exist... It's because God has created you through love 
and through love continues to hold you in existence. And you can't live fully according to truth unless you freely acknowledge that love of God and entrust yourself to your Creator. Isn't that profound? That comes from Gaudium et Spes. And that's the um, pastoral constitution of the church in the modern world. It's a, the last document that was um, promulgated at the Second Vatican Council. It's just a profound quote. And I think this is so important that this is, we need to get this right. We need to get this right, this, this truth about who we are correctly. If we get this wrong, we get everything else wrong. And this is where that guy who wrote that book that said, hey, chasing after happiness, when it's just chasing after happiness that's at a human level, a natural level, a level of the things of this world or the things of the human body, yeah, you know what? You're going to miss out and you better go after something else because you can't achieve perfect contentment there. Well, sadly, you can't achieve perfect contentment either by going after things that will bring you meaning in life and purpose in life. It's only the relationship with God. And, and this is what paragraph 29 says. This intimate and vital bond of man to God this intimate and vital bond of man to God that were created by God and for God, for communion with God, and God's drawing us to himself. It can be forgotten. It can be overlooked. And it can be explicitly rejected by us. And that's the world we're living in today. My brothers and sisters, that is our world. We live in a time where this truth has been forgotten, it's been overlooked, and it's been rejected explicitly by us. And what, what, is, what does that? Well, there are lots of reasons that are given here, but it's the attitude of sinful man which makes us hide from God out of fear and flee his call, his beckoning call of love. What's Lent? I told you I was going to connect this to Lent. What's prayer, fasting, and almsgiving all about? It's all about clearing away the blockages, clearing away the wreckage, clearing away the distractions. Go out into the desert. There's nothing out in the desert. It's just you and Jesus out in that desert. And out there, once again, discover, recover, deepen this reality that the Lord wants to foster a deeper communion with you, a deeper union with you. He wants you to know his love in a new way. Give yourself to Jesus today. Jesus, I give myself to you. I open myself to you. God, I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to do it. But I say, yes, please, I want to commune with you at a new level. Amen. I hope and pray this has been a blessing to you. Join me tomorrow for, with Father Mike O'Connor on Sound Insight. God bless your day.